Hello and welcome to another episode of Vegas TMI, where we explore the topics that make the city of Las Vegas timely, memorable, and iconic. I'm Shane. And I'm Jen. Hi, Jen. Hello, Shane. So on this episode, we're going to cover the state of crime in Southern Nevada. Is it on the rise? And what can we do to keep our neighborhoods and homes safer? And if I'm asking questions, why isn't this an episode of What The? We may feature some of this on a future episode, but today we're really going to have some really great discussion around the topic of crime here locally. And there really isn't a topic out there that gets more feedback from residents, and rightfully so. It's a topic that we can all relate to in our own neighborhoods. Yeah, we've been reading a lot of comments from our followers lately that crime is up in Southern Nevada, but is it really? Is that just a perception? And if so, then why? So on our first segment, we're going to bring in two experts to talk about whether or not crime is actually up and what factors contribute to whether or not you feel safe in your community. On our first segment, Communications Director David Riggleman will talk to Captain Sasha Larkin, who's the head of Metro's Northwest Area Command. It's the largest area command in Las Vegas and covers most of Summerlin. He'll also talk to Dr. William Souza, a criminal justice associate professor and director of the Center for Crime and Justice Policy at UNLV with an expertise in police policy and management, international police, and community crime prevention. That's a mouthful. It is. I'm surprised I made it through. <laughs> he oversaw a team of UNLV students recently who studied crime downtown and on the Strip and compared residents' and visitors' perceptions of crime versus what the stats actually were. So it'll be interesting to hear more about that. David, take it away. The state of public safety continues to be a major topic in the Valley. From burglaries to homicides, many residents have voiced their concerns that they feel crime is up. But has crime really risen in fact? How does public perception of crime rates play into how we feel in our neighborhoods and Las Vegas as a whole? We're joined by Captain Sasha Larkin with Metro's Northwest Area Command. Welcome back to the show, Captain Larkin. And also, Dr. William Souza the director of the Center for Crime and uh, Justice Policy with the Department of Criminal Justice at UNLV to take a deeper dive into this topic. Thanks, both of you, for being here today. Good to be here. Captain Larkin, let's begin with you. Uh, During an online poll we did on Nextdoor, residents were most concerned about, quote, the rising crime rate in Las Vegas, deeming Las Vegas unsafe somehow. Is crime really going up based on the statistics that Metro has? So thanks for having me, and I actually come bearing some good news. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I I understand the power and and really so many benefits of social media. It is great that we have neighborhoods connecting with one another on the Nextdoor app. And as a matter of fact, at all of our First Tuesdays and community meetings, uh, religious coalitions, we are always championing Nextdoor because in today's day and age, most people don't know their Nextdoor neighbor. Right. So how do you share information if something isn't right in your area? So it is great. Look, they share some powerful crime saving, crime fighting and life saving tips. So for that, I want to say well done neighborhoods, especially up in uh, my neck of the woods in Northwest Area Command. We have, uh, you know, over 100,000 users and it's fantastic. Right. A lot of conversations, yeah. But I was going to say, with that comes a lot of conversations. So what we see is people do talk to one another on next door about a suspicious person, a suspicious car, or that their their car got burglarized and loose change and sunglasses got taken. Um, So the good news is that that's not a relevant or um, accurate depiction of crime rates. 
crime is actually down. And Sheriff Lombardo gets to go around and talk about how uh, we're, we're doing a really good job here in Las Vegas. As a matter of fact, um, year to date, uh, total crime is down uh, over almost a percent. But in the last 28 days, it's down 12.8 percent. Wow. Wow. Right, so crime is actually down in all categories, and I, I'm talking about violent crime, robberies, and even home burglaries. We're down in every single category, both year to date and 28 days. That's great, right? That's so great. we're making a lot of positive strides, but with the power of social media, there's more chatter about it, right? There's more conversation, so I'm sure the perception must feel like crime's up. Yeah. And Dr. Sousa, that's a perfect segue to you. And so uh, thank you for being on the program as well. What do you think affects the, that perception versus reality? Why do we feel sometimes, and I know this is the $64 question here for you, but why do we get the impression that crime is up when in fact it's down? What, what, are, what are the signals social media Captain Larkin touched on, but what other factors play into that, do you think? Well, I would, uh, I would also suggest that social media plays a, a major role. Um, and it, it used to be not all that long ago uh, where, um, you know, we'd have to wait until the next day uh, to get um, some information on crime activity or get weekly reports. Um, and these go through a variety of filters. Uh, now, um, through social media, we have, um, it's basically information given to us in real time uh, without the filters uh, uh, that, that we would normally have. And so because of that, the, the perception um, is on the rise. But we know that there are many things that um, impact um, perceptions of crime and perceptions of safety. Um, and one of uh, the uh, one of the issues um, that Metro has done a lot with um, in uh, the time that I've been here in the Valley, which is really for the last 14 years, um, is addressing issues related to um, disorder. So not necessarily serious crime, um, but uh, issues related to uh, graffiti, uh, um, other minor offenses, trash and litter, um, these types of um, issues, because um, these types of issues, uh, these types of disorders give rise um, to the idea that um, neighborhoods um, are... Going to the uh, dogs. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that there are um, problems in the neighborhoods. And when people see these things occurring in the neighborhoods, um, they tend to perceive uh, there to be a larger crime problem. Metro, I think, refers to that as the broken window theory to some degree, right, Captain Larkin? Uh, if you see the broken window and it doesn't get taken care of, then uh, the perception of this neighborhood must be going downhill. Uh, maybe it's a place ripe for crime, something like that. Correct. Yeah. And we, um, you know, the research, not just here in the Valley, but uh, elsewhere in, in the U.S., um, has demonstrated um, that when communities um, are able to manage minor offenses, uh, that that helps to increase not just the perceptions of safety, but um, safety uh, overall. What ends up happening is uh, citizens start using public spaces more. Uh, they're um, less concerned about walking alone um, in the neighborhoods. They're less concerned about having their children play in the neighborhoods. Uh, they use public parks more. And what happens is there are more eyes on the street. Uh, people using public spaces for legitimate reasons uh, contributes to overall safety. Um, and so it's not just the perceptions of safety that increases, but actual safety does increase. Uh, Dr. Susan, let me ask you this too. Uh, in talking about the public's perception of crime, can you talk about the recent research project called Perceptions of Disorder in Las Vegas Tourist Locations? 
that you led uh, focusing on the Strip and downtown. Uh, now, did your study find uh, uh, that people are feeling safer in the community, or what, what did you find in this study? I found that it was interesting that, that UNLV did this research. Right. So, essentially, it focused um, in the area around the uh, Fremont Street experience, as well as um, uh, the Las Vegas Strip. Uh, and this this study came about, um, uh, Las Vegas Metro um, actually approached us um, because uh, n- they have their crime numbers, uh, crime reports, uh, calls for service, uh, incident reports, et cetera, um, where um, they, they use as performance measures. Uh, but Metro was also interested in not just those numbers, uh, but um, the perceptions um, of crime, particularly in the terrorist areas. So we put together a survey, and the survey asks about general levels of safety in these areas, as well as perceptions of different, different types of disorders. So uh, aggressive panhandling, uh, aggressive street performance, Performers, prostitution, uh, drug use, these types of things. Uh, and overall, the, um, uh, the findings are, it's very good news. Uh, for the most part, people feel very safe um, in these areas. Uh, for the most part, they do not um, list um, any particular disorder as particularly problematic. But what we also found is that um, perception, perceptions of safety um, and perceptions of disorder are very much in the eye of the beholder. Um, and so, for example, uh, we know that people who identify themselves as locals um, perceive a lot more disorder than those who identify themselves as tourists. Really, uh, And this brings up all sorts of interesting discussions um, regarding uh, ownership over communities. Uh, people who live in, in a, a neighborhood or who live in a community um, perceive any level of disorder as more problematic than those uh, who are not from uh, that area. I guess it makes sense. It does, yeah. My backyard versus uh, I'm just visiting here. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Captain, I can switch back to you. Interesting. I know Metro has worked very hard over the years in this concept of community policing, where you try to stop crime before it happens by getting involved with the community. How has that helped in the perception of of crime, or making maybe maybe making uh, neighborhoods safer because the police and the community are maybe working a little closer together before an incident happens versus waiting for the burglary or for for some issue to happen and then calling the police. You're just trying to win me over because you know this is my favorite thing to talk about. <laughs> uh, listen, no, we listen. What I love most about our police department is that we're um, progressive and we're constantly willing to take a chance and do things that haven't been done before. And you know, we took a very, very um, proactive role in community development uh, over a decade ago when now under Sheriff uh, McMahill. Uh, started the Safe Village team in Bolden and really started to create a bridge between divergent neighborhoods and religious communities and the police. And what we've done is really grown that to make sure that we're building communities of trust so everybody has a voice. Uh, You know, we built a a refugee program that meets the refugees the moment they get off the plane, that integrates them into the community. Had no idea. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, we were for um, over a decade one of the largest receivers of refugees in the country. Um, from all over the world. You know, we have an um, Ethiopian population here of over 40,000 people. Had no idea. Right, so but so there's a choice there, right? For law enforcement, people say, why is that the police's job? Well, I think that it should be our job on the front end or it will be on the back end. Let's say that you have folks here, um, refugees are not, it doesn't matter, but if you have people that feel disconnected, isolated, dejected from society or community, right, they're alone, It's going to set them up beautifully to be a pool of candidates for maybe gang life, maybe human trafficking, or maybe even radicalization, which then can manifest in the form of terrorism, because they are, it is human nature, and I'm sure, I'm hoping Dr. Sousa feels the same, that you will connect 
with something bigger than yourself. May it be God, community, you know, gang, some sort of connectivity. So what we figured out is if we give them some connection to us, we give them a voice, any community to be heard, crime lowers. Because two things happen. One, as Dr. Sousa pointed out, you have more people paying attention, and they will report things. They report suspicious activity before it comes a crime. And number two, people feel empowered. They feel connected. They feel like they belong, and uh, that the police actually do have uh, the ability to listen to them and take action on the words that they give us. What do you think, Dr. Sousa? It sounds like a great concept. Sounds like it's, it's working here. Certainly. And, um, you know, the, the concept of community policing um, relates to uh, greater accountability to citizens, but also more communication with citizens. Uh, and um, what we know um, from really decades of research is that citizens um, desire um, a, a relationship with police. Uh, for example, we've, um, we've seen in uh, studies on foot patrol, uh, that um, uh, citizens like seeing uh, police um, in their neighborhoods. Um, they'll strike up conversations with them. Um, it's often easier um, for the citizen to approach a foot patrol officer who they've seen uh, before. Um, and, it's, and frankly, it's easier for the foot patrol officer um, to relate to the individuals sure. that they see on a regular basis. Now, of course, we have um, in, in the United States, cities are, are built very differently. Um, in the Northeast, uh, cities are built up, and foot patrol um, is, is a, in terms of resources, is a, little, a bit easier to manage uh, than cities here in the West where, where the cities are essentially built out. But really, foot patrol is a metaphor for this desire for citizens right. to um, uh, communicate with police um, and have a relationship with police. And so there are other ways to do it. Uh, you have uh, meetings in churches. You have meetings in community centers. Um, there are other ways um, that... Uh, uh, police uh, in, in um, cities like Las Vegas um, are able to communicate um, with citizens. And we know that that helps in terms of uh, perceptions of safety and perceptions of accountability as well. I think it also builds that strong bond between the police and the community because other communities around the nation, let's be honest, have had some very, very tense issues between the police and the community. But in Las Vegas, thank goodness, we have not really experienced that. I think because of the homework that Metro has done in advance, just like Dr. Seuss is talking about. No, you're right. And and here's the thing. We we spent we spent years really trying to get into these communities that we didn't otherwise have connection to. And we rely on active members of the community to be our voice and carry our message. So we haven't had a Ferguson-type incident. Because we tell them, uh, not only are we transparent, we're going to let you in on our transparency. Not only through the media, but through organizations that we have, like the sheriff has an MMAC committee, Multicultural Advisory Council, that meets monthly, that has a member of the community from almost every community in our valley. And and here's the other thing um, about foot patrol, is it removes the barrier of the car, right? There is some sense of armor or disconnection, right? When we're in our police car right. driving around, people don't want to come up to the police car. So Dr. Seuss is right. We take the cop out of the car, and all of a sudden, we are a part of the community. And I'll give you a great example um, to his point about meetings. We figured out in Northwest, where um, I had the pleasure of overseeing uh, the Northwest part of town, we have over um, we have eight major religions housed in our area command, but it's not enough for just us to have a relationship with them. What we found is if they have relationships with each other, 
real work gets done. So every quarter we host a religious and cultural um, training at Northwest Area Command, and we bring together the eight major religions, and whoever wants to come, sometimes we have over 100 people, and we train them. We've done the dark side of social media. We've done um, how to decrease juvenile crime. We've done home safety. We've done all of these things, and what we find is then they start organically networking with one another, holding community events, holding um, religious events together, right? So that's that's powerful. And I think that's how you start to see a decrease in crime because they're looking out for one another. Captain, that's a perfect segue to my next question. Uh, What do you say uh, to residents uh, when they're concerned about safety in the neighborhoods? I mean, what are the top areas of crime that you're actually working to prevent versus the, the perception of what's going on out there? So one thing that we need from the residents is we need them to help us help them. And what I mean by that is uh, I ran the numbers uh, this morning, and out of 406 burglaries in Northwest Area Command this year, 39% of them were no force used. And what that means to us is that there was no rock thrown through a window, there was no front door kick. It means that the homeowner left their home unsecured in some way. And how many? What percent? 39%. Wow, that's So that's incredible. staggering, yeah. right? And listen, it happens. You're late to work, you rush out of the house, you forget to lock the front door. I get it. So that's step one. But step two is once the criminal is inside your home, what have you done to take measures inside your home? We have a program that we run uh, called Know What You Own, where we really encourage people to take pictures of the serial mm, numbers yeah. of all of their um, you know, appliances or TVs and jewelry. Number two, um, have it put somewhere safe and use a safe. Listen, your handgun that's sitting on your nightstand right now while you're at work is not protecting anything. So the criminals are in your home. They're looking for cash and guns the majority of the time. Because pawning stuff, they can do it, but there is an added layer of risk for them in that. So they want the easy out, cash and guns. So if you are a homeowner and you have a gun, that's awesome. But a safe and actually put the gun in the safe. Right. Right. So that's what we need. We need homeowners to take an active role in their own safety. Doesn't matter how many cops we have on the street, we can't lock your house for you or your car. Great point. And you hear about that so many times. I I didn't lock lock my car. Yeah. And we have a lot of stolen guns in people's center consoles in their car. Wow. We're running a little bit low on time, but Dr. Seuss, I wanted to ask you this. How do events like the October 1 shooting affect our perceptions of crime and how serious it is. We hear about it all the time, whether it's in Las Vegas, we had our own terrible experience, but we hear about it happening all over the world. Does that influence our perception, do you think, of the reality versus uh, what's really happening with crime? Uh, I, um, it seems to me that in the, in the short term, it certainly would, um, in terms of uh, um, how uh, people perceive um, uh, criminal activity, uh, but also um, acts of violence um, overall in the short term. Um, in the long term, um, however, the research generally shows that there's not much of an impact um, on criminal activity overall or general perception. So, for example, the, the Orlando nightclub shooting, um, uh, the October 1st shooting here, um, in, the, in the long run, we don't see major um, impacts in terms of uh, perceptions. Now, there are other 
um, you know, horrific events uh, where you do see uh, increases in crime and perceptions of crime. And if you think about um, things like some natural disasters that have occurred, uh, looting that occurs around it, um, if we go back to some of the rioting um, as a result of, uh, say, for example, in Ferguson, uh, then you see uh, um, more chaotic atmospheres um, and the perception that things are getting a lot worse. Um, but in the, in the case of, of October 1st, in, in terms of the long term, um, there doesn't appear to be um, much of an impact on criminal activity or on perceptions of crime. Captain Larkin, I wanted to switch back to you real quick. We just got a few minutes left here, but one thing you said struck with me on a network, on a next door, people sometimes will not actually report the crime. They'll talk about it on social media, but they won't actually report it. What is the best way to make sure that you have reported a crime? Talk about 911-311. Help us with that. Yeah, no, it happens often. I, somebody will call me that knows me that lives in a neighborhood and says, oh my gosh, we've had a rash, quote, rash of burglaries. And I'll run the stats and pull it up on Crime View, and they're nothing. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I've got the wrong neighborhood. But what happens is they get on next door and they talk about the burglaries that their home was broken into or their car, but they don't actually call us. So we can't help you if we don't know. Uh, 311 is our non-emergency number. You can call for anything. Somebody suspicious walking through your neighborhood, um, your car, you know, got broken into and you, you don't want to wait, whatever it is. And then we do have online reporting of specific crimes. And oh, that's then, good. That's good yeah. on, on uh, LVNPD.com. And then you can also come into your substation, but never overlook if it's an emergency, if it's a crime in progress, there's somebody actively breaking into your home, call 911, right? If you need help right now, call 911. And I'm really proud to say that our uh, wait times and hold times are the lowest they've been in a really long time. So we're trying to get those calls answered right away. We're trying to help people uh, get the resources they need immediately. And it, it, it's, a, it, it's really become a long way. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure having both of you on the show. You're both great guests. Thank you so much for being here. Thank I wish we had more us. time, but uh, we're getting to the end of our time. Great, great work by both of you. I uh, wanted to let everybody know uh, to remind residents uh, to talk to their neighbors on sites like Nextdoor and take advantage of neighborhood meetings at events like First Tuesday that Metro holds at the various command centers throughout the Valley on the first Tuesday of each month. Generally, they start at 7, but in Northwest area, they open the doors at 6.30, so you can come out, meet Captain Larkin and her team out there. You can talk about any of the issues going on in your neighborhood, and they'd love to hear from you. So again, Dr. Bill Sousa from UNLV, thank you so much. Captain Sasha Larkin, thanks so much. Great job today. Thank you so thank much. Thank you. Want to get to know your neighbors better or just keep up with safety news in your area? Join Nextdoor, the private social network for neighborhoods. Nextdoor's mission is to provide a trusted platform where neighbors work together to build stronger, safer, happier communities. With nearly 63,000 city residents on the site, you'll help keep your neighborhood safer and maybe even get to know your neighbors in the process. Sign up at nextdoor.com. So that's a great discussion to hear about how policing standards are evolving over the years and how it's becoming vital for law enforcement officers to really engage and be committed to the communities that they serve. And in our next segment, we're actually going to hear from some of our deputy city marshals about how they keep a variety of city facilities safe. Now, for those that don't know the difference between a city marshal and, say, a Las Vegas Metro police officer, well, actually, I don't know either. I think I better ask somebody. Good thing we have a segment coming up on this. <laughs> that is convenient. Our deputy city marshals are part of our Department of Public Safety that also runs our city jail and our animal control unit. 
So let's hear from some of these officers about what drew them to a career in law enforcement. Okay, so we are outside of City Hall on a nice, beautiful, hot Las Vegas day. I'm here with three of the City of Las Vegas Marshals. Um, Can you introduce yourselves? I'm Officer Hernandez with City of Las Vegas. My name is Officer Angel with the City of Las Vegas, Deputy City Marshals. And I'm Officer Berkman. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Um, So the first question is the most obvious question. For people that don't know, what is the difference between, like, a Metro Police Officer versus a City Marshal? Um, The difference is just jurisdiction. Uh, As a Deputy City Marshal, we patrol all city facilities, properties, anything that's owned, leased, or rented by the city is our jurisdiction. We also have dignitary details. Um, We do special events for the mayor and um, patrol all the city streets and sidewalks. So give us some examples. What are some things that you wouldn't do that maybe Metro would do? Um, The biggest difference is we don't answer 911 uh, domestic calls or anything like that. We get calls for service for any of our properties, but as far as 911 goes, we do not unless Metro asks for our help. So if there was some kind of incident at one of our parks or something, would you guys respond first? Would Metro respond first? Like, what would the process be? Anything that happens inside the parks um, would primarily be ours. Um, However, there are some times, because we're not well-known by a lot of the public, um, they will call Metro first. But usually Metro, because they're so busy with 911, um, that they will let us call our dispatch and let us know. Why don't you walk us through what an average day looks like for a deputy city marshal? It's different every day. It depends on what area of town you're working in. Um, We typically get assigned to a sector anywhere within the valley, and we head out to our properties and make sure we check all the parks, make sure everybody's safe, make sure citizens are enjoying the parks, Um, nobody's getting hurt, there's no fights. We also check on all our community centers. It's a great way to uh, make a presence known inside of our community centers. I know the city employees really appreciate us coming in there, saying hi, and making sure everything's okay. And we actually have two of you who just joined our department. So what led you guys to wanting to join the Department of Public Safety? Well, the reason why I started with the marshals was because I was able to apply before I was 21. I didn't have to wait a whole year to do the process, which the process consists of about a year to actually be employed. So I was actually going through the hiring process, doing my physical exam, doing my psych evaluation while I was 20. And a week before, I'm sorry, a week after my 21st birthday, I got the call and I was already hired with an academy start date a month after my 21st birthday. Can I get you just to say your name? Officer Angel. (laughs) (laughs) This is Officer Hernandez. Um, The reason that I applied for city marshals was, well, first of all, it wasn't my initial intention. I was a corrections officer before I came to be out on the streets. And my older brother is a police officer and he was the one who kind of encouraged me and pushed me forward to become a police officer because he wanted me to be better or he felt like I 
could handle being out on the streets. So he was the one that was giving me that extra push all the way along. Yeah. So I would definitely be a repeat offender. Let's say I'm resisting. What are your What are your tactics to take somebody down, especially, let's say, somebody larger than yourself? Well, lucky for us, down on Fremont, there's usually four to five of us together. Um, so you're never really alone. Um, we do defensive tactics every year. We have to go to training every year to learn new techniques of takedowns, whether it's um, a new way to do an arm bar or even just to try and take somebody to the ground. Um, it's great that we have that training every year to keep up and remember. I, you know, I also practice sometimes at home. I'll practice with my husband. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he appreciates that. Yeah. Well, he's a sergeant down in the jail, so okay. he's used to it. <laughs> okay, so spoiler alert for everybody that can't see, but all of our officers that we're speaking to are women. So um, can you each talk about maybe how that has affected um, being a law enforcement officer? I personally, myself, this is Officer Berkman, I haven't come across too many people that have said, oh, you're female, you can't do that. Maybe they have, and I just don't pay attention to it. I try to just kind of block that out because it's really what's important is how I feel about myself. And as long as I'm confident and feel like I'm able to do the job, then I belong here. Can we go down the line? Officer Angel, I actually have not seen a difference. I've been in law enforcement for just about eight months, so it's not very long. But I haven't noticed a difference. And people, whenever we approach them, they can tell right away if we're confident or if we're if we have officer presence. And I think that plays a huge role because if we come out the car looking towards the ground, not looking around, People are going to size us up and think, oh, I can take her easily. But if we come out the car with confidence, looking straight out towards what we're going, they're going to be like, yeah, we're not going to mess with her. Since you probably don't see a lot of female officers growing up, like what is the point where you recognize that you could be a law enforcement officer? Um, I actually started in law enforcement as soon as I turned 21, just like Officer Angel over here. Um, I was actually working at a mental hospital as a post three officer which is like a corrections officer but in a mental hospital for the criminally insane and that was before I transferred over to the women's prison um, and I have noticed a, I want to say I have noticed a difference being out on the street I feel like I'm not really tall I'm five feet tall <laughs> but um, I feel like it's all in how you carry yourself, just like Angel, or Officer Angel said over here. I have had um, subjects who kind of try to test me to see what they can get away with and what they can't. And once you, like, set that line or that bar that, no, like, I'm not playing around, I'm not here to play jokes or, you know, whatever it may be, I feel like they kind of just try to, like, test the waters. And once you set that bar, they're like, okay, this is not the officer to play with. Visitors probably have an idea of what crime is like here. Residents probably have a different idea. What do you all see on a daily basis as like the main things that you're dealing with? This is Officer Berkman. I think 
a lot of what we deal with, we, we deal with a lot of uh, vehicle burglaries, um, especially we, ha we have some hot spots that we try to make sure uh, we hit more often than some other properties just because of the amount of people that visit that facility. Um, it's also do, it, it also attracts, you know, those that want to take what's not theirs. Um, I would say we also come across a lot of drugs as well. Um, but I think that that's police work in general. You're going to come across drugs, um, robberies, burglaries. Um, it, it's pretty much, I would say, probably the same as what Metro has, except it's just happens in the park or happens on a city facility. So I'll ask you, um, Officer Berkman, is Las Vegas safe? Yes, Las Vegas is very safe. <laughs> okay, and then Officer Angel, since you're new, um, being a law enforcement officer, has that made, since you see and deal with the problems, has that made you feel safer or less safe? I feel the same. I don't feel a difference. It's not like I never... When I take this uniform off, I try to be the person that I was before I was in law enforcement. I'm very much aware of my surroundings more than I was before, but I'm not always in like cop mode type. <laughs> I When I take it off, I go home and I, I'm with my family. Time to enjoy my family. I'm not going to be thinking about, am I safe here? Or am I not safe? Because Las Vegas, I, I was born and raised here. I see, I see it the same. Officer Hernandez, has that changed how you feel about the safety? Um, I don't think it's made me change my opinion or how I feel. I still feel as safe as I ever was. I feel like wherever you go, anywhere in the world, there's always going to be crime. The one thing that it has changed, in my opinion, I feel is being aware of your surroundings, just like Officer Hernandez, I mean, Officer Angel said. When I take off my uniform, I feel just like a regular citizen because I, I just am more careful about not leaving stuff in my car, not leaving my purse laying around. That's the one thing that's changed for me is being more aware of my surroundings. And it, I feel like it makes me as a person more safe. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. So tips to everybody listening. Lock up your valuables. Be aware of your surroundings. And don't forget to call the marshals if you're ever in one of our parks. You can reach them at 702-229-6444. And you can report anything that you see so that they can go and check it out because we want everyone to be safe and enjoy our parks. Or you can walk right up to them because they'll be the ones smiling at you. What a great conversation. It was awesome to hear about what drew them to a career in law enforcement and what stereotypes they've worked to overcome both in the public and in themselves as well. Yeah, we want to thank officers Angel, Berkman, and Hernandez for being patient with us and dealing with all my crazy questions about what a marshal does. For anyone who's listening who is inspired by their work, you can be a city marshal. You can visit lasvegasnevada.gov jobs for more information on how to apply and you too can be a role model. So thanks again for joining us for another episode of Vegas TMI. Hopefully you've been also been enjoying our shorter What The episodes where we've been covering some of the top questions and topics that we get on our social media channels. So stay tuned for another episode of that very soon. 
Yep, use the hashtag VegasTMI to let us know your questions, and they'll probably be featured on a future episode of What The. Or if you just want to give us kudos, we'll always take those too. You can catch up on past episodes at lasvegasnevada.gov slash podcast. You can subscribe to us on the Google Play Music Store, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, we'll be there. Thanks for joining us for another episode. And we'll see you next time. TTFN from Vegas TMI. Vegas TMI.